morning. This is the Wisdom Seekers class in Dallas, Texas, and I'm Stacy Maston. I'm going to be teaching today, and it's always um, a blessing uh, for me to um, to teach. And I say that mainly because of the time that I spend in the Word is also profitable for myself, as you know I make this. Um, applicable to myself and not just to the hearers, right? And when I study often, and I don't, and I do study, but I don't study the same way when I'm teaching is when I'm just edifying myself with the word and, you know, searching things out so that I understand them. As long as I understand them, I just keep moving. But when I know I have to relay this information to you all, I really look at every little minutia so that I know that I can, can, uh, expound upon these deep matters before you. But today, I just wanted to kind of let you know that this teaching is more of a study that I might do on my own, only, of course, more in-depth for your, for your purposes, um, because it wasn't a word that the Lord spoke to me. It's not something that I necessarily was, was burning inside of me, so I searched it out so that I could have understanding of what I was going through. I really, you know, in that regard, I, I well, didn't have a hard time, but I, I pretty much recognized that the messages that we had been receiving the last few months have really spoken um, about where we are. And so I could be redundant and just keep telling you that, or I could just bring forth this study, which does touch on many of the areas that I think that we are facing, um, but it, the word didn't come to me that way. And so as I studied it, I thought, well, you know, this is a great way to, to show you what, you know, a word study looks like. So I was reading the scripture as I do every day. I clicked on this word, and I found it really interesting. And that is why I'm bringing it before you, because of what I thought. I thought, this is interesting. I like the direction this is going. And so we're going to look at our positioning and our perspective through this concept in the New Testament of the word deny, like to deny Christ, to deny faith. And the New Testament does speak about this in many forms and in many ways. And so as we do this, we're going to see what our positioning is supposed to be and what our perspective is supposed to be in the midst of what we would call chaotic, difficult you know, challenging times, which we are living. So let me begin with a word of prayer, and then we'll, we'll get right to it. Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you for the way that you speak to your saints. I thank you for the, the revelation that you've given us so that when we read the word, um, there is just a greater depth to uh, any scripture that we read because we have understanding that you've given us and we're able to apply it. So I want to give thanks for that. I thank you, Father, for this congregation and for the saints um, throughout the nations that have um, laid down their lives, who have forsaken the things of this world in order to pursue you and to pursue your plan for their lives. And I know what hardship that is. I know what it costs to do that. But I want to give thanks for all those who are willing to stand on behalf of your plan, your purpose, and your, your word that you are speaking in this hour. So, Father, I pray that you would help me to... Um, to teach this topic, and that you would be with all of us to hear and to learn um, what you had to say today. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's look at this word and the meaning of it. We're looking at the word deny. It means to disavow, disown, renounce, decline, refuse, contradict. I mean, how many synonyms can we I, I put as many as I could um, because I looked through many word study documents uh, or books and they all kind of described it a different way. So I went ahead and, it, um, and included all of them. But on a more subtle note, to deny is to say no towards a question or a demand, to be unwilling to resist or reject God in any way. 
So when you say deny Christ, we may look at that as only someone who is not accepting the gospel, who's not saved. But did Peter deny Christ? He did. So this, this really has some subtle nuances about your perspective regarding what God is doing and regarding his plan. So let's look at these. Oh, I, I need to go further. I'm sorry. I gotta, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, and so specifically look at the Greek word 720. And it, it, it is formed by the negative particle A, which is often used in the Greek New Testament to uh, mean the opposite of any word that it's joined with, and with the word rio. And so this word means to contradict, to disavow, reject. And then the Greek word 533 is the same thing, but it says it's a strengthened form. I mean, my, I mean it says to deny utterly, meaning it's not just a casual rejection, but it's to, you know, you're cutting the ties, baby. Um, so I would say that's what it means by the strength and form. So this is, this is the part that I found interesting. And it's only mentioned in the Strong's Concordance. It's not mentioned in the other um, theological dictionary of the New Testament, etc. But in this one um, Strong's Dictionary, it makes reference to what I, I said a minute ago about using the negative particle A with the word Rio. Because Rio means to pour forth. It means to speak. And there's a lot of passages regarding, you know, speaking, uttering, pouring forth your voice, that sort of thing. But the root of that word is Rio, and that means to flow. And we have used that, you know, to define that term, flowing like water, rivers of living water. So when I was looking at this term deny, and if it's the negative or the opposite of flowing, the thing that, that kind of um, struck me as I read these passages was to say to not flow. When you're rejecting Christ or you're rejecting faith, it means you're not flowing with what he's revealing. You're you're doing the opposite of that. And I found that kind of interesting because it gives you another perspective on what our attitude and perspective has to be with regard to how the Father is revealing himself and what he's doing in our midst. Are you flowing with that? See, there, there's where we're at. We have to be in a position in our heart, in our mind, in a willing position and a willing perspective to always do whatever the Spirit is doing. And to not do so is denying the fulfillment of what God is doing in that moment. You're denying Christ. So that's, where, that's why I found this very interesting. And again, I'm not trying to create a new doctrine. This, again, is just my perspective on what this word um, really spoke to me about in these passages. So let's look at 2 Timothy 2, 10 through 14. Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Now I find this verse interesting, that we would have to endure the things for the elect's sake so that they may, may be saved. Aren't the elect already saved? I mean, isn't that an interesting... I mean, when you're thinking about the elect, you're thinking those that not aren't just saved, but they're mature. They're, they're walking in the things of the Spirit. So this has to mean an ongoing um, positioning of deliverance, always walking in the salvation of the Lord. You're partnering, therefore you're not falling away. You're always being saved. Um, by your relationship and within your relationship with Christ Jesus. Um, but we stand, we endure, and that word endure is hupomeno. That's our word for patience, which um, I have a definition there below. It says to remain under the appointed place of abiding. So wherever God has called you in your assignment to stand and your positioning within that terio or that that, that is your abiding. And when you abide 
Others are actually, oh, how do I even say this? Except that I know that what I do and how I stand impacts you all. It influences how you stand. We encourage each other by the things that we all go through together and we remain steadfast. If we all started falling like flies, would we, would we make it? I think that we are strengthened by the fact that our brethren, the ones on our right and our left, the righteousness, you know, are causing us to stand and to endure and to find that, that ultimate positioning of uh, salvation uh, in Christ Jesus. Let's look at verse 11. It's a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we also shall live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. Of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Now, this passage has so many terms in it that we should be familiar with. Starting with verse 11, it is a faithful saying. This is something that comes from the throne to those who are at the right hand of the Father. So it's, it's, for, our, it's for the purpose of our being able to move forward and to stand on behalf of his purpose. We have to be dead with him. We have to uh, forsake our own plan, our own purpose. We cannot continually try to bring fulfillment and um, our own sense of worth. We have to find our worth and our fulfillment in him. That is being dead with him. If we are dead, we live, obviously. And this word suffer, again, is hupomeno. So suffering there, <laughs> patience is suffering. See, that's what I find so interesting that we have learned as saints is when we exhibit patience, it is through our suffering. Patience is waiting. Patience is, is um, remaining faithful even though we can't understand or even put a put a label on what's happening around us. We don't really know what God is doing. We don't know how we're going to get the breakthrough. We don't know how that we're going to move forward, but we still remain faithful and we stand. That's hupomeno. That's remaining uh, steadfast in your positioning and not losing heart. That's your perspective. But when we do that, it means we're going to reign. And this is simbasileo. And that word, its root is basis everywhere your foot is standing. So it is a walk with Christ, and it is a ruling or finding dominion in your partnership with Christ if you do um, this suffering, if you're willing to endure the suffering of the hupomeno, you are going to walk with him, and you're going to have dominion with him. And then if you deny him, if you don't flow with him, he's not going to flow with you. <laughs> I love that. And if we aren't in faith, if we are not at his right hand, he still will remain at the right hand. He cannot in deny himself. This basically means that he will not cease to be who he is. He cannot deny what his purpose is. He cannot deny what he came to do. He will always be faithful, regardless of whether or not we're faithful. He is going to remain faithful. Of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord. That word charging is diatmatirumai. And if you notice, the word um, martyr is in there. So we're talking about um, we're charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit. That word profit is kresimos. And if you see it, it, the root of that, we've done this study so many times about it being the empty hand. You know, this word, profit, 
is related to that. It starts at Cresce Moss and then it goes down the entire sequence that we have, we have learned regarding that partnership with the hand of God. So we are charging others around us that in our dying, in this um, dying on behalf of the message, that they would, that our words, our logos would not be in vain. It would be to the, the fact, you know, to get them to partner with the hand of God. And this subverting catastrophe means to basically turn them upside down in their heads. I mean, you're trying to turn them around so that they will follow Christ, so that they will be obedient. And we don't want our logos to, it says, to strive about with the logos that has no profit. So I really love this passage and what it says to us about how we're supposed to stand on behalf of the message, how we stand and faint not, how we endure in patience. And we do that, and it's a benefit for the elect's sake as well as our own. And we do it on behalf of those who may be struggling that are not partnering with the empty hand of God. And we're, we're charging them. We're dying on behalf of the message. And we're, you know, we're basically um, teaching them and exhorting them to do the same so that they might walk in, in, a, in accordance with the plan of God. And so one of the things um, that the, um, the lexicons that I was looking at gave this definition right below hupomeno. It says, to deny Christ can also mean not being at his disposal in order to fulfill his needs, not fulfilling the requirements of sonship or participating in kingdom partnership. Perhaps it also stands to reason that as we know to do good in a situation and we do it not, it is missing the mark that this can extend as a denial of Christ or being Christ-like. Um, in Matthew 10, 32, and in Luke 12, 8, the verses are very similar. It reads, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father, which is in heaven. And in Luke it says, But he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. So again, I look at this, and, and if we go to the next page, I think you, your guys, yours looks the same. What it said in the lexicon is this may refer to the reward of the believers, since the word here does not necessarily mean an utter denial as the case will be in the day of judgment for those who have unequivocally renounced or rejected Christ. The teaching here is that the recognition in heaven will be proportionate to the confession on earth. So when it, when it talks about us denying him before men and him denying us in heaven, we're talking about, you know, what, what are we in those moments of denial, when we're not flowing, when we're not being obedient, when we're not actually representing Christ the way that we know we should in that moment, then God is not with us. He's not making an appeal to heaven or to the angels on our behalf because we're not making a, we're not, you know, showing forth that Christ before men. So it's more of not an overall denial. It's in the moment. But I think that we can pretty much say, when your attitude is, wrong, is not right in any situation, uh, how do you feel about what's happening with you in heaven? A whole lot of nothing. Because God is not blessing you. He's not giving you that grace in that moment. He's not anointing you because of your stiff-neckedness or your stubbornness or your disobedience. He's denying you in heaven in that moment. He's not even letting the angels hang out with you. <laughs> okay? That is my take on that verse. Okay. Second Peter 2, 1 through 3. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be uh, false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that, that brought them. I think that's supposed to be 
brought them. I don't know why there's a, a typo there. And bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And, though covet, and through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingers not, and their damnation slumbers not. So at the top of this passage, we see that we're going to be dealing with false teachers. Uh, newsflash, if y'all haven't gotten that, me that memo yet, we're, all de we're already dealing with false teachers, okay? So this is something that we know can apply to us. They speak heresies. We have seen that even in the midst of our own people. They're denying the Lord that brought them into, look at the agorazo, the Lord who brought them into the agora. Remember the teaching about the agora being um, the spiritual marketplace that God has placed us as intercessors. So we were introduced and put into a place to work in the, the Agora on behalf of the kingdom. But these people are denying the Lord that brought them into that. And they're bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways. It's like the Pied Piper. We have seen, we have seen this in action. By reason of whom the way of truth shall be eagle, eagle, evil spoken of. And that's blasphemio. Now, I remember pastors teaching about this word, and it really is any aberration from the purpose of God. A blaspheming is to not speak the truth. It's to not speak the thing that actually comes from the throne. It's the opposite of that. And so this is what they're doing is they are blaspheming the truth. It's evil spoken of. The truth is being evil spoken of because they are not actually speaking it. They're speaking something that is, um, it, it's not always in direct opposition, and maybe that's the tricky part. You know, it's just kind of a, an alloy. It's kind of a, um, a little this and a little that, and, you know, we're going to call this the truth. But it still will cause people to fall into error and to be deceived. And that's why it's so tricky. And it says here from the lexicon, in itself, a false statement concerning Christ is a denial of Christ. That, you know, to me, that's a no-brainer. Anyone who is, is speaking false statements regarding what it means to be Christ-like. I mean, think about it. This is Christ-likeness is our, you know, along with intercession, is our main message. It's to be a son. Uh, sonship, the way that you... Um, are willing to die to yourself in order to um, bring forth the message of the Father. Uh, the th all the things that we've talked about being Christ-like, that's what this is in opposition to. For the claim of Christ extends to our thinking, not just to what we're saying or doing. And where there is a false statement, it implies that the claim is heard, but it's not acknowledged. In 1 John 2, 21 through 26, I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. So he is speaking to people who know the truth. And he goes on to say in verse 22, Who is a liar but he that denies that Jesus is the Christ, that he was that example of sonship? that he fulfilled his mission upon this earth, going to the cross and in demonstrating what it means to be a son up until that time. He is antichrist that denies the father and the son. And I think it's interesting that it's, it, he includes the father here because he's talking about that relationship that is between the father and the son. Whoever denies the son the same hath not the Father, but he that acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Let that therefore abide in you, which you have heard from the beginning. If that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, you also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. 
These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. So what, what's going on? This is, again, another atmosphere where there are deceivers. There are people, um, of course, in the world, but sometimes in our midst that are um, seducing with these alternate truths. Um, and that's, that, that's what we're having to survive in the midst of. We have to be ones who discern the truth, who, knew, who know how to know, um, to know between good and evil. And, and our perspective, I think, if we remain constant in faith, um, constant in um, the terio that we've been called to, uh, faithful to do and to abide in that positioning, then we are somewhat protected. I mean, we still have to protect our minds. We have to protect what we hear and what we believe. But in this, in this case, we see that um, these are people, people who deny that Jesus is the Christ. They are anti-Christ. They're not flowing. They're not flowing in sonship. And these things have to abide in us, which we have learned from the beginning. And I think it's really important that, you know, what Pastor has um, exhorted us to do regarding remembering um, these crucial moments between ourselves and our Father and the promises. And just, just within our walk and within the walk of the saints, giving thanks through remembrance. Because that, that really goes hand in hand with remembering that which we've been exhorted or taught from the beginning. These are things we have to continually rehearse. Let's look at Jude 1, verses 3 through 5. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. So I feel like I'm repeating myself. Every time we're looking at a scenario where there's a denial of um, our Lord Jesus Christ, these are the atmospheres that we're talking about. I'm writing unto you because <laughs> you're going to have to contend for the faith. Because there are those among you who are trying to seduce you. Um, there are heresies um, and blasphemies being spoken about the truth. That word earnestly contend is a struggle. It's to compete for the prize with an adversary. Who's going to win what you believe? You have to fight for what you believe. You have to take a stand for what you believe. And I love this word, which I cannot say it every time. I have to, I have to go, you know, sound it out. But look in there. There's a word agony in there. <laughs> and that's where our struggle comes from. But it can sometimes be an agony. What we have to fight for. What we have to endure and stand for. And what are we standing for? What is, uh, what is on behalf of the right hand? The things that have been delivered to the saints from the right hand. Folks, this is us. We are those who are at the right hand. The Father has faithfully delivered unto us revelation and understanding in order to go forth and conquer and, and actually have dominion in this earth in the timing of the Lord. But that's what we're being prepared for. It is needful for us to be exhorted regarding what we must do to remain faithful and to stand, we have to fight for it. Verse 4, for there are certain men who have crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. They're ungodly men, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. How do you, how do you turn the grace of God into something lustful? Ooh, that is really scary. And they're denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance, here we go again with that remembrance business, though you once knew this, 
how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed them because they didn't believe. We don't want to get lost in the midst of this battle. I know that we have our Lord Jesus Christ and the grace that he bought for us at the cross and the empowerment that came from his resurrection. But God is still as serious about our positioning and our perspective regarding his truth and where we stand. And in this last day, I think the, la the, the line in the sand is going to be quite clear. And we're going to have to be careful that we stay, you know, clear of that, that line and how we represent our Father, how, um, and you know, not, not just in our outward, our outward actions, but what we're believing. Peter denies knowing Jesus. I'm not, I'm not actually going to go through this because the, the story um, is, very, is very familiar to everyone. But I wanted to bring up the fact that we're going to be encountering circumstances that evoke a denial. And for Peter, who was really, he was a tough fella, you know? But even, so, and I think it's, it's interesting that, that Peter's the one that they gave the example of this denial because you would have thought that he was standing the strongest that his belief was, you know, more resolute, and he was, you know, such a, um, a strong individual and um, outspoken, that there's just no way that he would have cowered in those moments. But you have to really, you have to give Peter a little break, because I cannot even imagine what the atmosphere had to have been like leading up to the cross. I mean, in here, in this house, and other places, we have endured atmospheres that have been created by the enemy. And they are real. They evoke fear. They evoke doubt. They evoke um, any kind of negative um, jealousy. I mean, we can just go down the line. There have been atmospheres that we have endured and we have had to contend with um, in this house, in this safe environment. Because this has been our training ground. But as we um, go forth to, to uh, um, teach this message and further to bring dominion um, of the saints upon this earth uh, for the kingdom of God, I, I have a feeling that some of these atmospheres are going to really, really look a lot like this you know, pre-crucifixion situation. It was crazy. So we're gonna we're gonna we're going to endure some circumstances, some circumstances that might evoke that denial. We're gonna have to know where we stand. And honestly, I feel like that is something that, that the Lord is preparing us for. I think that the things that we have endured, the way that He has been developing us and causing us to continually come face to face with our own fears or with the iniquity that we have, and he's causing us to be able to identify them and to submit them and continually submit them in live scenarios where, you know, if I don't submit this, it's going to derail me right here. And we've come to a place where we can acknowledge the fact that we're in that moment. We've got to submit ourselves in this moment or we're not going to be a part of this moment. And, and so I feel like that's part of you know, when it says that the enemy had nothing in Jesus, are we going to be like Jesus? Well, we're supposed to be like Jesus. But I feel like the Lord is trying to bring us to a place where the enemy has nothing in us. He can't not poke and we react. We have to be able to stand and not, not fall prey to the atmospheres that we're going to be facing. Um, and, and like I said here, even in the case of martyrdom, think about it. I mean, we are living in the time of the end where there will be martyrdom again. Now, I'm not saying that there's not martyrdom in other places on the earth, but we don't really, we're not seeing that in the United States. So it's not something as Christians that we are facing. 
I'm not saying it's not happening, but we in this United States are not going to be, it's not like the, the, the end times, the book of Revelation is going to occur, but the United States is going to stay over here in this cute little bubble. No. What's happening in the end times is going to be taking place in our country as well as the world. So this westernized, lovely life that we've all grown up living is really not going to maintain the status quo as we go forward. And we just have to be ready for that. So we have to deny ourselves in Matthew 16, verse 21 through 27. And this is using that um, stronger uh, word, uh, Greek 533, which means to utterly deny. So we have to utterly deny ourselves. Let's start with verse 21. From that, oh, and I just want to say, I extended the passage to include this upper level because I wanted to give you context of why Jesus addressed the disciples regarding this. It starts again with Peter. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Anybody want to be someone who rebukes Jesus? I think I'll pass. Um, be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. I think we've all kind of said that to each other, though, haven't we? Um, but he turned and he said, Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for you savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. And we've, we've discussed this at length, so I'm not going to teach on that. I just wanted to give you some context. And then he said to his disciples, if any man will come after me, he has to deny himself. You can't be one who savors the things of this world. You have to deny yourself. You have to take up the cross, be willing to die, be willing to do whatever is necessary to see that um, the histemies of this earth are taken for, for God, that his kingdom is established. And that's how we follow him is when we deny ourselves. And I am not going to go down a long, you know, path of all the ways that you need to deny, that's all, folks, um, how you need to deny yourself. But I'm going to read this. This came from one of the lexicons. And you know what? When I read this, I thought, I'm not there yet. I must not confess myself and my own being. Too late. Probably did that three times today. Well, I know it means in more specific terms, but I cannot cling to myself. I have to abandon myself and a radical renunciation of myself. I don't think that I have radically <laughs> renunciated myself. I do a little here and a little there. I do a little renunciation. <laughs> and, you know, we're all trying to do that, right? We're all trying to deny ourselves the things that would keep us from from being uh, completely obedient to the Father. But we're not just renouncing our sins. We're, re we're renouncing ourselves. I must no longer seek to establish my life of myself, but resolutely accept death and allow myself to be established by Christ in discipleship. So this is what we are all striving to do. But I recognize, even in my own life, that my life takes precedence sometimes. And so I submit to that. I know this is something that I need to do. And you know what? It's not like some Catholic deal where, you know, that's, that makes me holy because, you know, I'm, I'm slapping my back with a whip and, you know, I'm not eating, I'm depriving myself, no, any pleasures, and it somehow makes me a righteous or holy person. That, that's so, eh. This is just, I want to, I want to overcome. I don't want to be overtaken in the end. I don't want the enemy to have me when he is, you know, desiring to sift me as wheat. 
I want to overcome, and I to overcome, I have to do this. I have to die to myself to be an overcomer, to help anyone, um, you know, in the future, to strengthen my brethren. I have to overcome. I have to be one who is transformed in a moment. I mean, that's the thing. It's not about appearing to be righteous or holy in front of anyone else. It's that I'm not going to make it if I can't die to myself in these areas that are my weak places. And see, that's where we are. And, and God is really making a big point with us. Okay, let me just restart that. You know, this has been something that's happened from the beginning. We've always been being refined. But I don't know about you, but it is, it's going deeper. And he's really going to the, the root causes, the things that um, are the, the instigators of the reactions that we have. And um, for him to touch those places, we have to be completely open and willing for him to bring those things up. And when he does bring them up, we have to be listening and we have to be in a conversation with him about them. And then when we're tested in that thing, we have to recognize the test that we're in so that we can overcome it. I mean, the grace is there for that overcoming. But he's always going to be, and in particular in this time frame, I mean, it's a different conversation than I had with him 25 years ago about it. And it's really important for us to to be in this process and to be willing to do this. So let's move on to godliness in 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7. It says, This know also that in the last days, oh my gosh, we're, we're back here. The last days, perilous times shall come. I really wanted to teach on perilous times, but it's really not mentioned very many times. Uh, let's look at that. <laughs> perilous times, reducing the strength. Difficult, dangerous. This know ye that in the last days there will be kairos moments where your strength is depleted, where you're in dangerous circumstances. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Now here's a list right here. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, not incompetent, uh, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. That's a long list, and I don't understand how that list of people can have a form of godliness. <laughs> I think that's an odd, to me that's a contradiction. Having a form of godliness speaks about people that are in the church that aren't really moving, you know, um, in a pure fashion. But maybe these people are in the church. But having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive only the silly women. <laughs> I'm, I'm gone. <laughs> but they're laden with sins. They're not just silly. Um, they're led away with divers' lust. They're ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. So having a form of godliness, pastor spoke on this last year, and I uh, had to look it up in my book because I couldn't remember. I, I knew it was a really amazing teaching, and the principle was really important. But for me, if it's not something that I can continually rehearse or remember um, often, then I, you know, I can't bring the definition to mind. So I looked it up, and this is what um, godliness is for us. To respect, to honor, and to apply the principles of the purpose of God. It's our discipline. It's our responsibility and authority. 
So we can't have a form of godliness. We cannot be those who um, walk, I mean, talk the talk, but don't walk the walk, so to speak. That's an old Christian saying. But basically, we're, we're, we're actually submitting ourselves. We're not falling prey to, you see that long list of things that, um, that is just not a good thing. We can't be in any of those categories. We have to not just have a form of godliness, which is the appearance or a semblance, but we have to walk where we respect the purpose of God, where we respect his plan. The principles that he has taught us, we are always striving to fulfill, to embody, and to demonstrate to other saints. But again, we're in this you know, horrible scenario here. This is, this is, again, people who are living in a time that is, that is a challenge, and we have to be different. We have to be different. We cannot be like the church, even the general church. We cannot be, matter of fact, you know, I don't, I don't really follow after Dennis so much or, or Trish or anyone else. I have to follow after Christ. I mean, I might follow after Pastor Sum because he's the leader. But you know what? If he started talking about stuff that I was like, this is not what the, you know, why are you saying that? This is different than what you've taught for 25 years. You know, I would not be willing to follow that. I have to follow Christ and that, that measure of sonship. And that he is, he is our example. Thankfully, our pastor is an example of that Christ-like walk, and we have, uh, we can put our trust in that. Um, but you know what I'm saying. There are a lot of Christians in the world, and just because they say they're a Christian, you, you can't believe everything they say. You can't just take their word for it. You have to know the truth. The word has to be in you so that you can say, that is not right. And I reject that. And you can also have to be able to say, yeah, you look really godly. I mean, you're putting on all the right clothes and you're saying even the right things, but it's only a form of godliness. Let's look at Titus um, 2, verse 11. This is also talking about godliness, but um, we'll see how it, there's a little twist here. For the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men. So the grace of God has appeared unto all men for salvation, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly. We deny ungodliness. We absolutely reject ungodliness. We will respect and honor the principles of the purpose of God. And it says here that we should live soberly. I put the definition below for you. Sophronos, this word should be familiar to some of you because we've been teaching on some of its derivatives and roots in the last year. Sophronos is a sound mind. It comes from friend, the hidden place within us. From this place of divine interaction comes inspiration, divine and supernatural inspiration and creativity. And remember, the friend is connected to our breathing. So really, if we're breathing after the Father with that commune, then we're in the right place. Okay? We are moving forward in a sober fashion. This is also something that we have to police. We are the ones who, who uh, are watching over that sound mind, what we're thinking about. You know, what are, what, what are the basis for our beliefs? What do we spend our time meditating upon? You know, if we're easily angered, are we, are we um, kind of existing in that frame of, of discontent, or are we overcoming that with the grace and with, you know, words of um, 
encouragement to yourself or thanksgiving before the Father because the one way that you can overcome bitterness and disappointment and things that, um, you know, are kind of rubbing you the wrong way is if you immediately begin to think about why you're thankful about the same thing. I mean, you know, people can rub you the wrong way. And so you can begin to thank the Lord for that individual. Because every situation has an opposite side to it. So I would just say we need to be thankful in those moments so that we can overcome those things that are, um, you know, those, those negative challenges that we have, which we all have. This, and this is just, you know, this is just life. It's not to... Um, criticize any person or to criticize things that are happening around us. We can't be those who um, dwell on that. We just have to, we really have to give thanks in those moments. I don't know if you noticed it, but that was kind of a digression, even though it's true. But let's look. So we're, we have to be sober, righteous, and godly. And godly is of that same term that we were just talking about with godliness and righteous, of course, we know is righteous, vis righteous vision. These are things that we have to exhibit and embrace and do in this present world, in the world in which we live today, in the circumstances in which we encounter right now in the days to come. We're looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of a great God and our Savior, um, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity. See, he wants to redeem us from all iniquity. He wants to purify unto himself a peculiar people, those who are zealous, zealous of good works. We have to speak and exhort these things and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Let's look at denying hagios and decaios. Dikaios, Dikaios, I don't know. You know, the new program I have doesn't, doesn't say these words for you anymore. You know how the old program would, you know, Kairos. Yeah, there's none of that going on, so we're just all doing the best we can. So this is interesting. I, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of making this one up, too, as we go. I mean, it's just the way I saw the verse. Okay, Acts 3, verse 12 through 14. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, You men of Israel, why marvel you at this? Or why look you so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. And I love verse 14. He didn't say Jesus. He said, you denied the hagios and the dikaios, which is righteousness, DK. I think that's how you said it. It may be dikey. I don't know how you say that either. But the Holy One and the just is Jesus who represented the saintly mission and righteousness. I think that's amazing. This is what it's saying that they denied the cross. When they were talking about Jesus at the cross, this is what they were denying. The saintly mission and righteousness, the righteous vision. Anyway, that was, I really like that one. I just think that's amazing. Really. Moses. Moses. Um, Acts 7, 35-37. This Moses, whom they refused, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge? The same did God send to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel which appeared to him in a bush. So basically, we're talking about Moses as the deliverer. And they, they refused him. They rejected him. And we know that he was a type of Christ. See, I think that's interesting because... You have the same thing happening to Jesus, but it, the, the same Jews, you know, the Pharisees, they rejected, well, I don't know if it was the Pharisees necessarily that rejected Moses, because the people were God, were in bondage. 
and I don't really know what their hierarchy was when they were in e Egypt. Um, I guess they still had holy people that were supposed to be teaching the law among their people, but we know the people rejected Moses, and we know that um, the religious leaders also rejected Jesus. But then let's look at, at Hebrews 11, because this is uh, Moses' uh, positioning and perspective. In verse, um, chapter 11, verse 24. So by faith, and see, this is, remember chapter 11 in Hebrews, are all those stories about what everybody did in the Old Testament by faith. So what does that say to us? Faith was active in the Old Testament. What does that mean? They heard from God and they did it. That's what that means. They heard from God, just like Moses. By faith, God heard, Moses heard from God. And when he was come to years, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So he rejected the world system. He chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Esteeming the approach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect under the recompense of the reward. How could he esteem the reproach of Christ? I mean, he didn't know anything about Christ. But what this is saying is that Moses was being a son. He exhibited every aspect of humility, meekness, obedience to what he heard the Father tell him to do, didn't he? He communed with the Father, and he obediently um, fulfilled what God had put him on this earth to do. And that word esteem is hegiomai, and it means to be a leader, to command and have official authority, to count, to think, or to deem. So he, in his positioning, he was willing to do whatever it took to be an obedient son to our father. And he chose that over being a son to an earthly father and fulfilling whatever his mandates were. I just think that's cool. And then you, you see in verse 27, by faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured. And that's a different word. It's carterio, and it comes from kratos. From the throne, Moses, in the Old Testament, apparently the throne was also in place at that time. So Moses was enduring as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians are saying to do, were drowned therein. So you have in this New Testament passage, speaking of an Old Testament story, and really showing how in the Old Testament, and we know this, I'm just stating it for you in this context. In the Old Testament, that was a type of what we're doing in the New Testament. They were hearing from God. They had to be obedient to God. They, you know, either um, were obedient and didn't serve idols or, and, and were blessed, or they received cursing because, and not blessing, when they had idols and they were, you know, be, doing abominable things and murmuring. Listen, New Testament believers are murmurers too. I mean, we've all prayed at that. You know, that's, we, we need to be taking some lessons from what happens to murmurers. And not that, you know, God's going to kill us in the wilderness, although I guess he could. But the fact that it's displeasing to him. It's hard to go forward if you're murmuring. You know, you're not going to break out of the wilderness if you're murmuring. We can certainly take that to the bank, right? You're going to stay in the wilderness as long as you're murmuring. And so, again, I digress. But this thing about Moses, him, him exemplifying and being a type of Christ, and I think in every way. And I just love, I love to read about that. I love to see that he was at the right hand of the throne, that he endured those things that, that God 
the words and edicts that came, that came from the throne to Moses, he endured on behalf of that. Let's see where we're at. We got one minute left. Um, I'm going to touch on one more thing, but I, I got to see which one I want to touch on. Oh, I could do both of these, but I, I think this one about the hem of the gar garment is interesting because when Jesus uh, turned around and said, who touched me? <laughs> they all denied it. <laughs> I love that they use this word because there was only one in the throng who was pressing to flow with Jesus. See, I love that. I just love kind of adding that spin to it. She was going after him. And they weren't denying Jesus. I mean, they were in the throng, right? And we're talking about disciples and whoever was around. Because Peter turned around and said, <laughs> um, and when they all denied, Peter and they that were with him said, Master, the multitude throngs thee and pressed thee. And you say, who touched me? <laughs> but they all denied it. It wasn't me. <laughs> I didn't do it. I just think that was interesting. And so let's look at works. Titus 1.15. Unto the pure, all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess, and I bring this up because if you remember on page one, the confessing, um, confessing Jesus or denying Jesus is the same pattern of um, homologio, to profess that we know God, but in works they were denying him. So they weren't denying him in their words. They were confessing him with their words, but they were denying him in their works. So they were kind of uh, doing that uh, form of godliness kind of thing, I think. Uh, they were being abominable, disobedient, and unto every good work a reprobate. And you can see down there the um, definitions of those things. They were, they were um, prone to idolatry. They weren't listening. Um, they had an indifferent positioning. That was their perspective. And they were reprobate. That adokimos, um, adokimos, means to not be able to stand the test. They were unapproved. And they were unapproved because they were not fulfilling um, the walk in a pure manner. They were... Um, you know, they said all the right things, but they really were not uh, fulfilling and being a, a, an obedient person. So, um, so I am going to uh, not do the last page. I didn't think I was going to get to that anyway. And I didn't even know if I'd get this far. So um, anyway, it, to me, it was a very interesting study, and it was telling um, also, the atmospheres that were going to be present when um, denying the Lord Jesus. or and, and just to say the last page, it talks about two churches that did not deny the faith or did not deny the name. So we have to be those, as these two churches were noted for, although, although they had other problems, right? But they didn't deny the faith. They didn't deny those things that the Father was saying at the right hand. And they didn't deny the name, which is the purpose of God. His name is always one that is going to, to exemplify and demonstrate his purpose. And so um, I just exhort you to, to remain steadfast in the things that you're doing, to be um, faithful sons and faithful saints, um, really submitting yourselves to the process of uh, refining to be transformed so that we can overcome i mean that really is the purpose i i feel like and i've always felt like i was in uh, a military boot camp i i look at it that way because it was easy for me to see how horribly those people were treated but it wasn't for the sake of just being mean they're trying to save those men's and women's lives who were going out into the field. And that's the way God looks at us. He's trying to save your life. <laughs> that's really what he wants to do. He's trying to prepare you so that he can save you. You're going to be prepared for that next challenge. 
And so I always look at his refining and those hard things that I go through. I know it's for my benefit. I know he wants me to succeed, and that's why he's making me face the difficult things that trip me up. And so I just want to exhort you to do the same and be grateful for it and be thankful and know that he is turning all things for good. He's not changing circumstances. He's, he's changing it into something that is for his glory, according to his purpose. That's what for his good is, the Kalos purpose. So, Father, I thank you for the study and for this teaching. I pray that I was able to uh, speak it in such a way that was um, discernible and understanding to those who heard it. And I pray that you would bless and anoint your saints in this hour, strengthen them, and, and Father, walk with them, and deliver us, deliver us in this hour uh, from the hand of the enemy. In Jesus' name, amen.